Hi, everybody. It's Ryan from Pi Records, and I'm here with Bob Daly from the Surf Raiders. How are you? I'm fine. Nice to be talking to you, Ryan. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, I've been looking forward to, uh, to to meeting with you. I, I've been listening to your music from the Surf Raiders, and uh, I'm just blown away by how intense it is. Uh, the song Surf Raider... Uh, I mean, I just love love how you incorporate the chords in with the melody. Um, you want to tell me a, lot, a little bit about where you got started doing this? Okay. Well, originally, I first discovered surf music back in 1963. When I was just started in high school, I moved from another city. Going to high school, I went to a freshman howdy hop, and there was a band called the Victors there, and they were were playing Baja. The lead guitar player was using a steel guitar and it just blew me away. I thought this is great. And home and told my dad about it and we didn't have a radio. We didn't even have our own radio. So he, he got us, well, he repaired TVs and stuff. So he got us a radio and we started flipping around on it. And I found KFWB and the song Pipeline was playing. And I was taken into surf music hook, line, and sinker at that very moment. Yeah. So that's my introduction into surf music. And I spent the next couple of years just learning. I, I got to learn how to play guitar. So it was the whole point of acoustic guitar, finally buying a, a $60 pawn shop Japanese guitar and a homemade amplifier, and then going through the whole steps with getting them together, and which included my brother, Doug. And that's that's how it all started. But as time went by, the surf music kind of went by the way. And so we got caught up in all the other stuff. But I never lost the desire to play music. Uh, of course, uh, Dick Dale has been going, you know, continue the, the tradition throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, uh, I can hear some of the ventures in Dick Dale in your in your music, the, the strumming and picking in, in particular. Um, ha, had you fo been following uh, the transition in, in Dick Dale's music all along? Yeah, I, I, I'd gotten his, some of his records at the beginning. I mean, I, uh, I was, one of the songs I was trying to learn was The Wedge at that time. I mean, I got Challenger albums, uh, 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 The Lively Ones, yeah, and, you know, challenge it's like that. And that's that was I was just trying to learn. I didn't my I didn't have less guitar lessons, and so I was just trying to learn the best I could by ear. Yeah, and uh, so, and the thing is, at that time, I didn't know about all of the surf bands. Yeah, up to that point, I mean, I knew Dick Dale, you know, but I didn't know about Eddie and the Showman and the Bel Airs and all that, all the other great Dave Myers and the Surf Tones. I didn't know about those guys until the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. Those, uh, the Bel Airs are incredible. Um, they, they must, they, they must have, uh, w when you first heard them, they, they must have knocked their socks off. Yeah. Well, well, the whole thing about them, see, when I started interviewing everybody in 1980, that uh, I, I wanted to find out how the bands got their surf tones, how the, how they set their controls what did it take to make that perfect surf surf sound? And so I started finding, I first person I found was Jim Pasha, the safaris. He only lived 
like three miles from me up here or down there in California. And so I interviewed him, talked to him. It was great. He was very helpful. I even asked him to join my band. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, but then he decided he was going to restart the safaris. <laughs> so that's where that went. There's but a lot going on in that group. safaris camp. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that was, but that's just how it went. Then I found the Chantays, then I found the live one. I'm a genealogist. And so I'm very good at, you know, finding people and, and doing things like that. So, so for that 10 years, from 1980, the whole time the band was playing, I was interviewing people. And that's when I decided to make it into a book. But then the Surf Raiders, what happened was 1979, I heard the surf punks do My Beach. And I thought, hey, you know, that'd be kind of fun to, to have a surf band again. And so... Uh, but I didn't have a guitar or anything at that time. My dad came over one day. He found this 1930-something Gibson and amplifier wow. at the trash can at somebody's house. And so he asked me if I wanted it. So he, he brought it over, and I used that for a little bit. But then I wound up selling it, and I was able to get a, a Stratocaster, a reverb unit, and a dual showman out of that. And I put ads in the papers, the L.A. papers, local papers, and advertising for people who are interested in surf band. And I found one guy from Covina near me, uh, I, it was Steve, and I found uh, the drummer Dave from uh, San Gabriel. And the first thing he asked me, he said, do you have to be blonde haired and blue eyed to be in the band? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I know. I said, no, if you can play drums. And then Lloyd Davis uh, came in and played bass, even though he was probably a better lead guitar player than me but he chose to play bass. And every Sunday from that in 1980, we started practicing, learning the songs. I would make a cassette tape of the songs and everybody take them home and practice them. And then we'd have a practice and we recorded some of those practices, which I'm happy because, you know, it was, it was fun to go back and listen to the songs yeah. and listen to the sound develop. And uh, eventually the Steve Tanner, the rhythm player had, he had to move, and so that's when I managed to get uh, Neil Cousay on guitar. I met him through record collecting. And boy, talk about the things starting off. And he had had, a, he knew a sax player. So here we were, full surf band with sax player, practicing and playing. We played it, I think our, one of our first gigs was at the Ice House in Pasadena. And it, I mean, we went well, I mean, Every place we played, there were a lot of people. It wasn't just one person standing out on the dance floor listening to us. So uh, it just progressed from there. Uh, we started getting more places to play. Uh, we wound up playing some really great gigs at Knott's Berry Farm and the Whiskey A Go Go. Oh, wow. And most of the clubs, most of the clubs there in LA. And we were also getting some great jobs at parties playing at uh, parties, we're playing around the swimming pool, and stuff like that. That's amazing. Uh, the, the, it, it sounds like it, it went from, from one stage of the band where you're in the garage to very quickly going out and playing in like the whiskey, uh, right. getting a full band together. Was it, was it pretty fast for you? Uh, it seemed like it, right? The first few, it was kind of slow, but after that, we just seemed to click, and then we didn't even 
I just sent everybody a tape. We do a uh, we do a sound check at the place we're playing. We learn the song, learn 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 new songs that way and played them that night. Wow! But everybody was an experienced musician. Yeah, and so that was a big help. That was a big help. That's awesome. That's such a great story. Uh, tell me a little bit about the book you mentioned. Okay, well, um, this book I called Surfing Guitars, Instrumental Surf Bands of the 60s. And I spent 10 years on it before the first edition came out in 1988. And I had interviewed these people, transcribed the tapes. Uh, most cases I had got Xerox copies of, uh, you know, flyers and stuff like that, record labels, album covers. And I would uh, get make copies of the pictures and stuff. I mean... By the time I got done, I think I was like 49 bands in the first in the first book. That's great. And it, it, it had errors. I mean, I didn't have anybody to, to, to check it. A lot of misspellings and stuff like that. It was, it was just the raw manuscript that I laid out on IBM. But it was popular. People When people found out about it, I mean, I had 2,600 copies printed and sold all of them. It's really... Um... For me, it, it's it's really enjoyable being a guitar player, inter interviewing other musicians because you you even if you're not professional, you kind of speak the same language. Did you did you feel the same way when you were when you were doing the interviews? Yes, I was, uh, and a lot of them wondered why I was doing it. Why would anybody be interested in list listening to the story of an old man? about something he did as a teenager, but they've come to all accept it and think it was great. In fact, a lot, a lot of, a lot of early surf bands reunited in the eighties, like the tornadoes and Chantes yes. and the lively ones all came back and started playing again, which was great. So well, what, what, what sparked that? Uh, was it, was it just initial curiosity that sparked your, your interest to interview these people? Did you come up with a, say, I want to document this? Or like, what was your inspiration to go and do this book? Well, like I said, I wanted to find out how they played the songs, what equipment they used, what were the settings, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. And one after another, their stories were kind of the same, but not. You find out something new from each set of people and, and their circumstances, how they got together. You know, especially the Shanties, they were only when they did Pipeline, they were still in high school. So, uh, I mean, that was, I got, I gained a lot of inspiration from them that, hey, I can do this. Uh, my band, when we decided to call it the Surf Raiders, we could do this. And I, cause I thought, you know, that's a pretty good name. Yeah. And then when we decided, when we decided to cut our first album, I happened to find a guy in West Covina who said, well, bring your band in. Let's record you and see how you sound. So we laid down the songs that became our first album, which I named Raiders of the Lost Surf. And that was a popular title. In fact, I had a couple of bands want to buy it from me. Really? For theirs. Yeah. Wow. So, but it's a, it it's a great really album. Nice yeah, the guy, the guy who put it out uh, had it done in uh, blue, uh, blue powder blue marble with white swirls. Wow! And then the second one, second printing was clear blue, uh, you know, clear see through blue. 
What year was that? So we sold 2,000 copies of that. That was 1982. Wow. To, to get a marble uh, variant in 1982 must have been pretty, uh, pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, well, he had it done at Rainbow Records, who's not around anymore. But, I mean, they, they did some great stuff. We, uh, on our own, we released about seven singles of songs from the recording session and some from the garage that we taped ourselves. And we, uh, Moxie Records put out an EP on us. And uh, it was, it was, you know, we were getting stuff out, which was uh, good. Uh, we were being played a lot on college radios. Those were the easiest ones to get on because the regular stations didn't, you know, didn't get it. But the college yeah. stations kids did. So we were always, always doing that. I get, uh, my wife and I go down for the interviews We'd be on the show, but I'd also bring a whole box of uh, records of unknown for surf 45s that nobody had ever heard before. And so that kind of made me popular yeah. there, too, because I put these records on and talk, talk about them and they're hearing stuff that nobody heard before. Yeah, but it, it's cool when you when when you um, I don't know, when I was younger and you you say, uh, hey, listen to this band and your friends get all excited about it. And then they show you a band. They get all excited about it. Uh, you get all excited about it. Um, I mean, that, that must have been quite a party when you're showing up and everybody's liking the music. Right. I, and when I was doing the book, uh, I remember I was interviewing Eddie Bertrand from Eddie and the Showman and the Bel Airs. And we'd happened to play at Knott's Berry Farm Live and recorded it. And one of the better songs that, that turned out was a song called Scratch that Eddie and the Showman did and the Venture did. And so I, I asked him if he would like to hear it. So I played it and he actually thought I had found a, 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 a recording of his band, Eddie and the Showman. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's insane. So that was, you know, you just did things like that. You just, um, you talk to each other, you right away know what to ask. And um, we, I made a lot of good friends. A lot of good friends with these surf bands. I mean, I went to Dick Dale's house and interviewed him there, you know, which is pretty cool. And but the first time I opened, we opened for him, I used a uh, Jaguar guitar, and he got, always got on my case about not using. His <laughs> I figured he would. <laughs> <laughs> but see, at the Jaguar, I mean, it was the lively ones uh, used it. You know, a lot of those groups used the Jaguar. There was a few challengers used the Strat, but, but uh, you know, for the little ones, the live or the astronauts. You know, when I got their first album, wow, the that was the sound you're looking for was the was the astronauts. So, in your interview, when you when you find that sound the astronauts ha had, um, can you describe what they did to get that sound? Well, number one, uh, Richard Fifield was a fantastic guitar player originally, but just hooking up to a showman through a, a dual showman through a Fender Reverb, and he used the uh, Jazz Master. He didn't really do anything special. It's just that's how it came out when he played it through that equipment. And that's what, you know, I believe that, you know, the Fender equipment had a lot to do with the sound, 
with the reverb as well as the Jaguar Jazzmaster. I mean, you can play surf music on a Telecaster, but it's just not quite the same as a, ja a Jaguar. Yeah, it's a little bit more twangy. And you get those big, heck, thick, uh, flat wound strings on it and kind of mute it, and you just get that reverbs flashing, and it just sends chills up your back when you hear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen to a lot of the internet. I listen to a lot of bands on the internet radios, and my goodness, there are some great bands out there now. Yeah. And the fact totally. that it's still going, the fact that it's still going from 1980, and it kind of slowed down in 1989. Then Pulp Fiction came out with uh, Dick Dale and all that, and it started it over again, and it's never stopped. It's just getting bigger, more international, and you hear more variations of the yeah. surf sound. And there's some that are still true to the right sound, but some take a little go out of the box of it. And it's great. I mean, I'm 72 years old now, and, you know, I was doing all this when I, I started the Surf Raiders at 30. Wow. Wow. So, uh, David, well, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, I was. Uh, I didn't mean. I didn't mean to cut you off. You. Oh. Um. Okay. Um. Well, the flat wound strings. I was talking to somebody today. Um. It's very specific, and usually you use a heavier gauge, correct? Right. Ten or twelve. Some. I think it goes higher, but. I was in, I was using 12s for the longest time. And, and your fingers bled, right? Well, not as bad as they used to do on the other strings. I mean, really? Flat wound. Yeah. But after a while, my fingers were so, you know, callous and built up. Yeah. That I, I hadn't, I had no problem doing the runs and, yeah. you know, the chords and leads and stuff like that. I had no problem with it. So, so you're saying it's easier to play on the flat wound strings? I've never played on them. Well, for, for me, to get the sound, yeah. The, the, the flat wounds on the Jazz Jaguar through the reverb, through the twin, uh, or, uh, show, dual showman, that was the sound. Now, some people are good. They can get do it with the Gibson. Run the Gibson through the... Uh, uh, the amplifier or they even just gifting all the way it's just it just depends you know some people couldn't afford fender stuff i mean my first amp was a silver tone that, now that one i don't know this amplifier yeah that yeah, was the sears sears came out with a guitar that was like a dan electro and then they had their amplifiers uh, one with six ten inch speakers which i had or two twelves, but it had the reverb. They were they looked like a showman, and that was that was a great first amp. My my first guitar was a Sears guitar. <laughs> yeah, my I got it for Christmas one year, and I I I went right down in the basement and put the cassette player on and started learning songs right away. Um, There's just something magical about getting that first one. Yeah, the first guitar I had was a was a. A 1964 Tesco, Tedesco, Japanese. It was a Tesco. Yeah, yeah. Well, three, three pickups, and that was my first first guitar. I paid sixty five dollars for it out of the last of my paper route money. 
That's how we did it. That's how we we worked all summer and we got our guitars, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, I want to know a little bit more about um, your your interviewing. Um, are you you're a genealogist? But did that did 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 that sprout out of kind of your your interest for just being curious? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. Uh... I was finding these people from the record labels or the albums with the names of the bands and stuff. And like with Jim Pash through Jim Pash, I found, I found the other guys in the safaris. And then they mentioned somebody and I go find them and the Shantae's same thing. I talked to Bob Spicker to the Shantae's and he got me a hold of everybody else in the band. And then he says, well, have you heard uh, uh, Tracy Longstreth and the rhythm rockers and stuff? Well, no, and he'd help me get those guys, and it just snowballed. He just kept going and going and going. So, what was what was the first thing, uh, uh, the first reverb tank uh, that you got? Because I'm curious. Because when I started playing guitar in the '80s, uh, I went to a lot of different um, a, a lot of different music stores to find the guitar that I wanted that I saw on the TV that all my favorite bands were playing. And I, I, my, my, I grew up with my family playing, uh, my uncles playing surf music and I could not find reverb anywhere. Now I'm not a surf player, but I'd never seen them until I began seeing these old videos of these, these bands playing uh, live. Right. Well, in 1980, when I was putting all the equipment together, uh, I was looking for a Fender Reverb. And one day in a Zeus and a Azusa newspaper, I found a classified ad. A guy had a Fender Reverb that he got when he went into the army, or he bought it and then he used it and went into the army. So it sat in the closet all the whole time he was in the army and everything. And now he got uh, he had no need for it. And he sold it to me for a hundred dollars. Oh. A brand new 1961 Fender Reverb unit. Wow. Still had the papers, the cover, the hang tags, the whole bit for a hundred bucks. So I thought I did pretty good there. Yeah. <laughs> and as far as I, I bought a dual showman cabinet that had no speakers, I bought some uh, good speakers to put in it and had my bass player redo the head. And so then I had my dual showman. And at first I had the uh, Stratocaster and I saw an ad where some guy was wanting to trade a Jaguar for a Stratocaster. So we meet up in a parking lot somewhere. It's a 1962 brand new Jaguar, never been played. (laughs) And he wanted the Strat. So we just traded it straight across. So that first group of instruments that I had was, was fantastic. I got everything that I, I needed. And that's how a lot of people get it done. I uh, I traded a, an old telly for a Strat. We met in the parking lot, and um, the guy strummed it, liked the action on it. I took mine home and and modified it, and um, that's how a lot I how a lot of musicians get it done. I think. Right. Exactly. I mean, nowadays your uh, Fender has the uh, the Squire guitars that. A lot of guitarists think are really great. 
I mean, they get them to do some mods on them, change the bridge or this and that, and then they're happier with it than they would be. Yeah. I would I would think the electronics aren't much different. No, I I don't think so. And it's also they're built somewhere else, you know, some play some in Mexico, some in Japan. They're built somewhere else and put together. And and there's those people who want the vintage that must be an American made one. Yeah. And uh but it just depends on you. It depends on the guitar player, the one that's playing the music on what's going to work for him or not right right now um are are you still playing um the the jag i have uh well when i when i wanted to publish the book i couldn't get a book a, you know a, a, a dealer or anybody interested in publishing it so i took my record collection which was pretty big, my surf record collection, auctioned it all off. Oh, I wow. sold the amplifier, sold the guitar, sold the reverb unit to come up with the cash to have a, a, a place to print it. Wow. Okay. So, you know, of course I was sorry afterwards, but it got me the book. It got me started, even though a lot of the reviews said, you know, there was a lot of errors and stuff like that, but the material in the book was good. They liked the pictures. They liked the flyers. They liked all that stuff to go with it, where you could be reading, look over on the next page and see. And then I was doing the discographies of all their records of the albums and the reissues and all that stuff, which made it a really good reference book. And what's even funnier is that when the book came out, a lot of these, the guys in the bands in the book we're getting phone calls from people wanting to know if they still had their original equipment and, and if they could buy it from them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so it took you 10 years to put this book out, um, to write and release the book. Um, what do you think you personally, out of, out of all the people you talk to, and all the time and effort you put into it, what was the greatest thing you got out of it? Um, well, I was thinking to myself, you know, why should I only be privy to all this information and everything? And I wanted to share it with everybody. So they wouldn't have to go through what I did, maybe go back and find the guys, re-interview them, you know, this and that. Let's Let's make this, the Bible of surf music, the reference of surf music. And that's what I got out of it. Sure, it made some money, but the, the thing is, it wasn't, I wasn't doing it for the money. I was even playing surf music for the money. I was playing for it because I wanted to be up on stage and watch people dancing out there, dancing to surf beat or miserloo or you know, stuff like that. That's what that's what I was enjoying. Yeah, just just the experience itself. Yes. So uh, what, what are you doing right now? What is, uh, um, I mean, it looks like on um, iTunes, you're reissuing a lot of the albums. Is that true? Well, what I did, yeah, back in 2016, I took and I uh, digitized all our stuff. I had it digitized. And I put together a new Raiders of the Lost Surf, a new Surf. On a new on the beach, 
And then I did our greatest hits and, uh, you know, a couple other things like that. And I thought it'd just be nice to have them sell them on, you know, eBay, Facebook, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and it worked great, you know, all that time. But then recently, uh, Amazon, which did a print on demand, said they were going to not do it anymore. And oh. I was wondering, oh, boy, what am I going to do? Well, I happened to contacted through Facebook by the from Green Cookie Records yep. in Greece. Yep. And he, he wanted to reissue our first two albums on CD, an official an official release. Yeah. And, you know, I thought, you know, why, <laughs> you know, and, but after talking to him and his excitement, how excited he was, how we could be brought to a whole new audience and everything else. I said, okay. So I went through the whole process of giving him, uh, you know, the imaging and the waves uh, to, uh, to those first two albums and getting into them. And then I think it was in March, he released them. And that's how I wound up getting involved in Bandcamp because I wanted to put them somewhere where people could get them, you know, download them and stuff. Yeah. And that worked out great. I mean, I was sending, uh, you know, copies to radio stations and stuff. And then all of a sudden the surf raiders are getting all this new airplay that we didn't have, you know, 30, 40 years ago, which was great. <laughs> And so I just kind of kept our name and pictures and music alive in, on Facebook just to keep people excited about the Surf Raiders. And yeah. it seemed to, uh, seemed to work. You guys were no joke, though, man. You guys could play your instruments well. Yeah, yeah that was it, was, it was great. I mean, uh, when we couldn't find another sax player, we actually had my wife, Linda, join the band on keyboards. Oh wow! Playing the saxophone lead. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then she wound up adding more and more uh, onto the songs. It kind of changed our sound, but we were one of the very rare bands that had a female in the band. Yeah. You know, and the, the, uh, there was only maybe a couple of women in surf music in the first first wave, and I don't remember anybody besides my wife in the second, and then like on the third and stuff. But well, then all of a sudden you start seeing a lot of female bass players female yeah. organ players and now it's crazy i mean there's almost all new band comes out at least one or two women in the band have you have you heard the surfer jets yes i wow. saw them they are so a couple good of years ago at the surf guitar 101 thing they used to have until covid hit yeah i met them there they're uh, they're no joke like they're they're really good they have a one one thing I saw recently is they did a, a cover of a Britney Spears album or song, uh, right. Toxic. Toxic. Right. And right. Um, I remember my kids used to listen to that song, and I it was like note for note. There was nothing there. There was nothing missing, and they were like, I don't know. It was just stellar. The like their performance, and I was really excited when I heard it. <laughs> so. Um, well, what's what's up next? Uh, are you are you planning anything um, new? Are are you just taking it easy and and uh, are are you back well, playing or like after the the COVID and everything? Well, well, I'll tell you this. Back uh, last year, I started formulating something that I wanted to do about the Surf Raiders, not necessarily the Surf Raiders, but 
about the surf raiders. And so I put this list together of all the surf raiders original material. Okay. Which turned out which turned out to be 17 songs. And I wanted a even 18. So I took one of our uh, songs that we used to play uh, that we play, we called the ranch, but it was actually free fall. And I made this list of all those songs. The next I went and I started writing down band names, uh, people that I thought might cover these songs. Yeah. Like the insects, insect surfers and the eliminators and, you know, bands from my era. And then uh, the Neptunas and yeah. things like that. And, uh, uh, and, and some people, uh, then I started realizing well, I'm going to have to go out and find, try to get some of these newer bands doing it, which I did. In fact, I had to, once it got out that I was doing this, I had to turn bands away. I felt so bad that, uh, you know, there are these great bands coming in and I'd already filled all the slots for all the songs. And so anyway, these, uh, all the bands on their own expense and own time went into their studios or whatever and recorded an original Surf Raider song. Wow. And uh, I finally got all the songs together a little a little while ago. Uh, I had it mastered by Klein. And, Dave Klein? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And Green Cookie Records wanted to put it out. So right now, Friday, on Bandcamp, starts the pre-sale on Walkin, the tribute to the Surf Raiders. Wait, say that name again? Wave Walkin. Okay. A tribute to the Surf Raiders. Awesome. Wow, that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is to me because I never thought I would be able to pull it off. Yeah. And the bands that are playing on it are so excited about it. I mean, uh, Messer Chups are on it. Oh, wow. Uh, voodoo, voodoo Surf. Uh, oh, from UK. I'm trying to remember the last part. But a lot of American bands, uh, uh, a, Jap- a Japanese band. And it's just, it's great. And uh, Surfer Joe. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's, this is going to be a neat thing. And the pre-sales start Friday. And uh, it'll come out in February. What's what's the band camp site that they can find those at? Okay, it's the the Surf Raiders period bandcamp period dot com or period com. Yeah, awesome. And and they can can they get any the all the physical copies of the ones that came out in two thousand sixteen as yeah. well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, besides the, you know, downloading, there's the actual disc that they can order and, you know, get in for me, so. Is there, are there CDs and vinyl, just CDs, or? Well, right now, right now it's the CDs. There's a time uh, problem over in Europe as far as getting vinyl done, but the vinyl will come. Oh, great. And also Green Cookie Records just contacted me. And they want to reissue our third album. Oh, that's the awesome. They want to have our entire catalog. I, it, it must. So it's it, been, like I said, it's been, 
it's been quite exciting. It's uh, it must feel um, like when your life work is is kind of I don't know some some kind of vindication that okay I've been doing the right thing all along and, and you finally right. have that that you know you find out oh my god all these people really were into what I was doing and uh, it just took a while for you to to find out about that right and these bands all these bands that did the recordings all cite the Surf Raiders as one of their major influences. Yeah, hearing yeah. our song and liking the way we played and, you know, incorporated in their style, which was, it made me feel good. There was no strangers to the Surf Raiders, which, and that's great. I mean, how much more can a person ask for to see uh, the longevity of something he did 40 years ago, you know, keep going and, and, and doing well. Uh, um, and I expect that must be an incredible feeling. Yeah, because when I know, know when the CD comes out and we start getting all the uh, the tracks to the radio stations, you know, we're going to there's I'm sure we're going to see a lot of airplay on there because you got 18 popular surf bands, each with a different song. You know, they're, they're going to get played a lot. I'm yes. sure they are. And, that, and that's great. Because if I did something for them to help them in their careers and stuff like that, that's great, too. Well, I could totally see uh, from an instrumental guitar standpoint, um, just just the sheer writing and playing on it on it is uh, just wants me makes me want to go pick up my guitar. You know, it's just one of those kind of things when you hear a band you like or a melody that you like, you know, it makes you want to get up, go pick up your guitar and start noodling around. Okay, just a second. Um, get the green folder. It's probably up in the shell. Sorry, my wife was asking me a question. Oh, okay. He was she, no he was looking she, she was looking for the list of all the bands that are on it. Oh, okay, okay. And I could tell you too if when she she's going to get me the list. Yeah, that'd be great. I can kind of give you an idea because I'm sure you've heard them all. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the Neptunas. Yeah, unfortunately, the Neptunas had. They couldn't do it. Yeah, they 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 turned me down. <laughs> oh no! Well, they said that they recording. Yeah, they were not. They weren't recording. They and turn us down. I asked the Neptunas. They couldn't do it. Uh, okay, that's. You know, so there was there was a bunch of bands like that. Even the Straight Jackets. I tried to get them, and they couldn't do it either. Yeah. But anyway, here's here's the band. Here's the lineup on the Surf Raiders tribute. Okay. The El Camino from Japan. Surfer Joe. Messer Chops, Sunnyside Five from San Francisco, the Wreck Crew, a bunch of a bunch of uh, musicians in LA who got together and covered the Surf Raider. Wow! Right there's the Supertones, a group called Longboard and Ranch that my bass player Lloyd started after he left the Surf Raiders, and they had remade uh, Swami's Reef. And it was a great, great version of it. So that's why it's on here. There's a, a group called the Curl Riders, named after our song, The Curl Rider. Um, there's a band, a popular band that go under the name Albacore as a kind of, so they don't know, everybody don't know who they really are. Uh, LA band called Glasgow Tiki Shakers. Uh, 
Orange County, the fabulous Nomads. Then there's Jim and the Sea Dragons. Hey, Jim Colby. Yeah. Yeah. Voodoo Surf Tribe. Agent Octopus. Jim Kirby. Jim Colby. Yeah. The Surf Zombies. Yep. Frankie and the Pool Boys. Friends. And then the Insect. Yeah. Oh, that's a great lineup. Insect. Gonna be fun. Yeah, it's like I said, it's gonna be fun. I right. can hardly wait to start seeing. Do you reviews. think you're gonna do some kind of a record release party for that or something? Well, be, being up here in Salt Lake City, Utah, <laughs> I probably just have it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you meet up with Jeff in uh, Southern California and maybe set something up. Well, who knows? You never know what's possible. I mean, if this is possible, the sky's the limit on what can be done. Yeah. And I'm I'm just grateful to the people who listen to the music, who request it, who buy the CDs or download. Uh, it's just great to know that the music is vibrant. That is, it works worked back then, and it works now. It's uh, it's great. It was great to get to know you a little bit, and just just that um, knowing knowing that all that hard work and effort you put out there uh, really paid off in a in a meaningful way. Yes, very meaningful to me. It just uh, my the Neil and Lloyd and the guys that were in the band just just can't believe it. They they just can't believe I was able to. Uh, to keep us alive and bring us back like I did. So, so well, one, one question that, that I'd like to l- learn just a little bit more about was the writing. Did you collaborate as a band or were they your songs you brought to the table? How did you, how did you kind of write, write the tunes? Well, it, it, it kind of works like that. Lloyd uh, had a, a number of songs that he brought that we practice and work on. That he wrote. Uh, I wrote the Curl Writer. I had wrote, written another song before that was my really first one, and it was called Bonsai Riptide. And then we did the Curl Writer, and then Neil, the rhythm player, came out with Point Conception, Point Conception that he wrote, which was a really good song too. And then he wound up turning around and slowed it down and called it Point Conception 63. And it's one of our most popular songs. People are always wanting to hear Point Conception 63. And and that's how we did it. There was uh, at the near the end, uh, Lloyd and I would get together and throw stuff back and forth and practice and come up with uh, on our On the Beach album, we came up with Suicide Point and Longboards at San Onofre, just playing around. And when we release the On the Beach album next year, I'm gonna include the two demos of Suicide Point and Longboards wow. of Santa Nova. So From the cassette? You, you kind of hear, you can kind of hear, it'll be, uh, what? From the cassette? Yeah, I'll master it and get it on and put it with the other waves. Wow. And they'll be able to, people will be able to hear the kind of the process of how the, those songs got together. That's incredible that you still have that. Yeah, I know. I Some of this stuff, I... Uh, I had on cassette tapes, and so I converted them all to uh, digital. Started listening to 
when I go, my goodness, I thought all this stuff I had was crap, but it was actually some pretty good stuff there. I mean, I had tapes of us playing at the, uh, um, the whiskey. We got uh, recorded live there. And some of the songs, eh, a lot, most of it turned out really good. We played at the Ice House. We had recordings from the Ice House. And we played the Palomino, yeah. which was interesting. We had a group called Mr. Mr. Open for us. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Very weird. Uh, well, I want to thank you so much, Bob. Um, man, it was, it, was, uh, it was worth waiting all day just to talk to you. Because I've been listening to your music and I'm like, I was, well, like I said, I, I had to put it down for a little bit because I had to go play guitar once I listened to it. Uh, Ryan, uh, Bob's, eight-year-old grand, Bob's eight-year-old grandson wants to know if he could just come say hi to the man on the radio for one second. Oh, of course. Okay, his name is Robbie. Robbie, come here then, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to groom him to become the uh, the next Dally Surf guitarist. I'm trying to do the same thing with my son. <laughs> I had when my father died, I got a, an inheritance, and I went and I had the Fender Custom Shop make me a '62 Fender Jaguar with a maple neck, purple with gold hardware. Okay, here uh, he comes. This is hi, Robbie. See, looks hey, like hi, you Robbie. lost a couple of hey, teeth there. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're mm -hmm. hoping for for Christmas. Yeah, I've already lost five. Wait, say that again. He already lost five. Oh my God! And some have grown back, but he's he's doing good. He's growing. Mm -hmm. My my son is nine years old. I'm eight. Did you? I'm eight. He said his son is nine. I'm eight. Oh, congratulations! Are you enjoying school? Yay. You're in second, Kellen. You're taking Spanish also. I'm, I'm taking Spanish Monday. Already? Yeah. yeah. A Spanish as a second language. Always always take your Spanish classes because that's going to be really important when you grow up. It's going to be more than taco and enchilada. <laughs> yeah. What is your son's name, Ryan? My son's name is Brody. Brody, that's cute. Huh. We have Bob, Robbie, and Robbie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. <laughs> it was nice to meet you, Robbie. It's nice meeting you. Nice meeting you, little guy. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, okay, Bob, I'm going to let you go. Uh, but I wanted to thank you so much and congratulations. It seems like there's there's a lot of great things happening for you and and, and uh, all the hard work you put into it. it. It just sounds like like it's a great great time in your life and and lots to be thankful for. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, I'm gonna let you go and have a good night. Okay, you too. And I'll be I'll look before I'll, I'm looking forward to the finished. Uh, interviews and everything too just to see how they go great thanks all righty